back his own. Let's take God's word together this evening and turn to the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. And uh, that is the heart of God. I love that parable. It's really found, uh, well, one of my favorite places it's found is in Luke 15, just as you're turning there. And the Lord Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it. Now that is really the heart of God in connection with missions, world evangelism, that we might leave the 99 who are safe in the fold and go after those that are lost. That's what this is. So when we have a world mission conference like this, and we talk about going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth, what we're trying to say is, Let us, like Christ, go after the lost. That's what we're saying. And let it not stop just with our neighbors or our family, but let it go out into the streets and lanes of this city, and not just this city either, but all of England, and not just England, but Scotland and Wales, and Ireland, north and south, and not just that, but let's go across the channel into Europe, and not just Europe because it's closest to us, but all the world. That wherever there's a lost sheep, we might go after that which was lost. That's the heart of Christ. That is the heart of Christ to go after that which is lost. Jesus said something interesting. It was mentioned earlier in the week, but in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, Jesus said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. The picture there is there are fields upon fields upon fields of fruit, crops that are ready to be harvested. It's not that we're getting close. No, no, they're ready now. The harvest is great, but the problem is we ain't got enough laborers to get it all in. Now look here for a second. I'm not the cleverest chap in the world, Eli, but you tell me, if you don't get the harvest in time, what's going to happen to it? If you don't get the crops in time, if you don't harvest them in time, what happens to the crops? They rot. You lose them. And so the illustration that Christ used was this. All over this world, There are souls ready to be saved. They must be gathered. Jesus said, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. I love this, the way that Jesus instructs us. Here's what he says. Look, there's a great work to be done. Not enough workers. So, So I'll tell you what you do. Go find as many workers as you can. Is that what he said? I know. Just roll up your sleeves and let's get out. No, no. He said, pray. What's what's the answer to, to souls dying and going to hell and there not being enough laborers? It begins with prayer. And the prayer is this. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Because look here for a second. If we send forth laborers and they be not sent from him, then there's a chance they might do more damage than good. 
So the prayer is that he would send forth laborers. And sometimes when you begin to pray that God would send forth laborers, sometimes you're the very answer to your prayer. Maybe that's why we don't pray that he would send forth laborers. In the book of Acts chapter 13, I want to look this evening at the church of Antioch. And you say, why, why the church at Antioch? Because this is the church that the first New Testament missionaries were sent out of. And if we're going to be the kind of church that I believe the Lord wants us to be, then we've got a good pattern in the book of Acts. And I believe that the Lord wants every local New Testament church to be that kind of a church. I love the church of Antioch. I want you to look with me, please. Uh, we'll come back to chapter 13, but go to Acts chapter 6. And this is really the first mention of the church at Antioch. And it's not even a church yet. In Acts chapter 6, you know the story. Look at verse number 1. I love this, this account. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. The church was growing in Jerusalem. And God was adding to the church daily such as should be saved. It was a marvelous sight to behold. We've seen a small measure of such, such a, a, a work of God. Nothing in comparison. But it was an amazing movement. And then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So they gathered together all those recent converts, those recent followers of Christ and said, Look, it's not a good idea. It's probably not the best thing that we stop studying the word and, and seeking the Lord in prayer and, and start taking care of these widows and serving. Uh, it's probably not the best thing because uh, we have a particular calling on our lives. And so the brethren in verse number three, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the problem came that there was such growth in the early church. There was such an increase that there was a need now to appoint some folks to help take care of some of the work so that the apostles could continue in the preaching and teaching of the word and in prayer. Seven men were chosen. Now these men weren't chosen because they were gifted in in, uh, in serving tables. They weren't gifted waiters, as it were. No, they were chosen based upon this. Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom. There's your three qualifications. Chosen to take care of this work while the apostles continued. They gave themselves continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. And so the saying pleased the whole multitude, verse number five, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. I'd like, I'd like that description, wouldn't you? The Bible says they chose Stephen. He was a man full of faith and a man full of the Holy Ghost. I wonder if they could say that about you. And they chose Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. The first mention of Antioch in the New Testament. One of those first seven who were going to help the disciples, the apostles, in the work of caring for the church 
One of those first seven, who was a man of honest report, who was a man full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom, was a man who had been converted from the city of Antioch, which was a Greek city. He was a Gentile convert. Now, what's the big deal, you say? Well, if you turn the page, uh, a few pages to Acts chapter 11, we hear of the church at Antioch. And here's what I want you to see here. This is amazing to me. The church is started in Antioch. Watch this. In verse number 19. Now, can I just say this for a second? The church at Jerusalem failed. Now, don't throw stones at me. I'll tell you why they failed. Because the Lord Jesus said, tarry there in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. You remember that? The Holy Ghost shall come upon you and you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But here they are still just in Jerusalem. Our brother Paul mentioned that the other night. They didn't obey. They never went any further. They were just hanging out in Jerusalem. Maybe because they experienced great growth and it was comfortable and uh, it was just there. In fact, a lot of Jews, really mostly Jews. They weren't obeying. Not completely. And so in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19, now they which were scattered, we now have a persecution begin. We hear of a scattering of the, of the church of Jerusalem. They were scattered. And watch where they went. They which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. Remember that Saul was persecuting the church, scattering the believers all around. Well, they were scattered around the persecution. They traveled as far as Phoenice, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now, I, I, I've often wondered, why did they go to Antioch? It might have something to do with the fact that Nicholas came from Antioch. They went to Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. Watch verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now the command to the church was to go into all the world and to teach all nations, not just Jews, not just Jews in Jerusalem, But up until this point, the church at Jerusalem were just hanging out in Jerusalem with the Jews. That's comfortable, isn't it? Now, let me just be as honest with you as I can. I like being straightforward. You know what we are? We're we're strange creatures. We like, those are my people. I like Americans. And so, well, we'll start a church for Americans. Well, I'm from Kenya. So we're going to start a Kenyan church. Well, I'm Romanian, so we're going to have a Romanian church. No, 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 no. That was never God's plan. Never. Well, I'm a gypsy, a traveler, so we'll have a gypsy or a traveler church. No, 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 no. That was never God's plan. And here were two fellas, two unknown men. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, maybe more than two. When they came to Antioch, they dared do what was unconventional. Now, I want to talk about this church. This church started out of persecution. They were driven from Jerusalem. It began out of... Now, there's something special 
about a work that begins out of unrest. That begins out of persecution. Something special about that. Something that God puts his hand on. But there's also something special about a work that begins in a very unorthodox way. Now, we like to put everything in boxes, don't we? Well, no, 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 no. That's not the way we do things. Oh, no. That's not really very orthodox. But here were two men who were brave enough to say, I know that we don't normally talk to Gentiles. I know we normally just talk to Jews. But you know what? I'm a Gentile. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And when they came to Antioch, they spake to the Grecians. Why not? Because there were Grecians living in Antioch. Why would you not, why would you, why would you contemplate living in a city where there are many different nationalities and only go for one nationality? I've never understood that. Why would you intentionally in a city filled with many different cultures and nationalities, why would you only uh, pick out one? These men said, look, we're living in, in a Greek city. There are Greeks all around. It'd be hard not to see them. They need the gospel too. And so they began preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. You know why? Because they obeyed Jesus. And may God take from your eyes and your heart any prejudice against any other culture or people group. No matter skin color, accent, no matter cultural differences, may we be able like these men to say, whoever are in this place where we are, we're going to preach to them. We'll leave the rest to God, but we'll preach to them. And the hand of God was with them. Do you know that God, God himself has chosen to bless the obedience of his word? He said, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to church anymore because those people are a bunch of hypocrites. God has chosen to bless those who obey. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You do what's right. You do what's right. We, we always think of reasons not to obey the Lord and not... And we try to justify our behavior in such a way. But the Lord, the Lord puts his hand with those who obey. It began in a very unorthodox way, but in obedience to Christ. Now, I'm not talking about doing something strange just because it's strange. But sometimes obedience to Christ is strange. I'm not talking about doing something different for the sake of being different. But sometimes to follow the Lord actually is different. Shouldn't be. There's a man, I've not read the entirety of the book, so I hesitate to recommend it, but there's a man called Watchman Nee who wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. And really he was saying the normal Christian life is actually the radical, what people call radical Christian life, the extreme Christian life. Actually, that's normal. Actually, it's normal to die to self. Actually, it's the normal Christian life to reject the world. Actually, it's the normal Christian life to not try to be like the world, but instead to try to be like Christ. That's normal. Actually, it's a normal Christian life to suffer persecution. Normal. To die to yourself. To die what you want. To stop trying to be seen and heard and recognized. That's normal. And sometimes following the Lord means you're doing something that's not normal in most churches. Every once in a while somebody comes in and they say, Ooh, I like this church, but it's just not what I'm used to. Well, sometimes that's okay. I don't want to be strange just for the sake of being strange. But if in following Christ, it might make someone uncomfortable, that's okay. That's what they did. And it began with the hand of God blessing them. 
This was the church as well. Look at verse 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. Really, that's where it began. The first church was there in Jerusalem. And the tidings came to those who were in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. This was a church that was blessed with receiving help from another church. I think we know a little bit of that, don't we? We know a little bit of that when, when some of the students come and help us on the weekends. We know what it is uh, to be blessed uh, from helpers from another church. That's a, that's a good thing. But it would be good if we began to be those who send helpers as well. Keep reading. The Bible says in verse 23, who when Barnabas came, watch this. And he had seen that the grace of God, seen the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all. Here's the message for this early church. This church that was started out of persecution. This church that was started in an unorthodox way. The church that had the hand of God upon it. Here's a message from the encourager, Barnabas. Here's a word of exhortation. Look what he says in verse 23. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Do you know what his message was? He came to this early church, this church that was born in adversity, that had a, a diverse gathering. Here's what he said. I've got a message for you. Mike, I've got a message for you that you cleave unto the Lord with all of your hearts, that you would hold fast because there's a temptation. You know what the temptation is? The longer you are in a place with a people, the temptation is the more relaxed you get, the more comfortable you become. And in relaxing, you lose your grip. I've seen it. I've seen people who used to be faithful to the Lord and faithful to this church. And over the years, they've just gotten lazy in the Christian life, more comfortable in the world. And now they look more like the world than they do a child of God. They've, loosened their grip on the things of God. The author of Hebrews said we ought to be careful lest at any time we should let our profession slip. And so the word of exhortation to this church was this, and it's a word of exhortation for us. Verse 23, that with a purpose of heart, we would cling to the Lord. We tonight must purpose in our heart, no matter what happens here, no matter how we grow, no matter up or down, we would cling to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Can I ask you tonight, are you clinging to him? You see, all of our missionary endeavor, before you get to chapter 13, when they start sending missionaries out, you've got this word, hold tight to Jesus, cling to the Savior. Now watch this. If you read, continue reading in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 26. Listen, verse 25 then uh, then Barnabas leaves, departed to Tarsus to find Saul, to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, brought him back to that church in Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, Paul and Barnabas, and they taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. One of the things I love about the church in Antioch, the very first place that the followers of Jesus were called Christian was at this church. This was the testimony they had. That when you walked into that gathering, whether it be in a barn or in a field or in somebody's house, 
It wasn't a church building with four walls and a steeple and a cross on top. But wherever it was that they were gathering, when you walked into their midst, do you know what the testimony they had was? These people are like Jesus. They were called Christians first at Antioch. Not at Jerusalem. That's interesting. They were called Christians first in Antioch. That's where the name caught on. They were Christ followers. They lived their lives in such a way, that church lived their lives in such a way that outsiders looked in and say, those people look like Jesus. They're acting like Jesus. Who do they think they are? They think they're like Jesus. Look at them all, a bunch of little Christs. Bunch of little Jesuses. And that was a name tagged on to them. I wouldn't mind that, would you? That was a name given to them. They were called Christian first. Such was the testimony. Can I ask, would you look at it for a moment? Such was the testimony of that body that when people came in, they said, I've never met a people like this. I've never been in a gathering like this. Never met such warmth, such love. I've never seen such purity. I've never seen such kindness, such patience. Everything you think to be true about Jesus was found amongst those people. That's the kind of name you want. I'd hate for people to walk in and say, I've never. Uh, those, those disciples were called Judasites first there at that church. You'd hate for that, wouldn't you? Stabbing each other in the back. That's what Judas did, didn't he? There are some churches that have that testimony. Constantly stabbing one another in the back. Bickering and fighting. I don't want any other name. I don't want to be called James and Johnites. I don't want to be called any other name. But Christ-like. That's the name. Now you know everybody, every once in a while somebody gets a bee in their bonnet. I don't, I don't like these names and I don't like, why do we have these denominations? Hold on a moment. Are you living like Christ? Because you can't even open your mouth until you are living like Christ. Until you are called Christian. Truly like Christ. Truly a follower of Him. A heart overflowing with love. A heart overflowing with compassion. A strict adherence to truth. A, a commitment to truth. The Bible says, Mercy and truth, grace and truth met together like Christ. That was the testimony they had. And out of that, out of that testimony came their work. And if you don't get it that way first, if we don't have that testimony first, where we are like Christ first, then you cannot get your work right. Because I tell you, the Lord Jesus did what he did because of who he was. The son of God. The Messiah. God in flesh. He did what he did because of who he was. And you and I will do what we should do if we are what we should be. We get it backwards. Oftentimes we think if I do this, then I will be the Christian I should be. Wrong. Maybe if I teach Sunday school, then I'll learn to be more patient with children. Wrong way to go about it. If I go, if I surrender to be a missionary, then maybe I'll get a burden for lost souls. Wrong. 
We got to be what we ought to be first. And then we can do what we ought to do. And you come to Acts 13, this famous chapter. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, preachers and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. These were the men who were preaching and teaching there at that church at Antioch. And as they ministered to the Lord, as they fasted, don't you erase that little part. As they ministered and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. Look here, every once in a while somebody says, oh, I'd love to be a missionary. I'd love to do this. But they're not serving now. They're not doing anything now. What makes you think you'd do something there if you're not doing it here? What makes you think that you'd actually serve the Lord in another land if you're not serving him right where you are? And it was as these men ministered to God, served the Lord, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, I want Barnabas and I want Saul because I've got a work for them to do. And it was while they were serving God and the local church, the body, that God put his hand, the Holy Ghost called these men. The pastor didn't call them. The presbytery didn't call them. The Spirit of God called them. The Holy Ghost said, I want those two, Barnabas and Saul, because I've got a work that I've called them to. It's interesting. He didn't call them to a place. He called them to a work. And that work would be done wherever they were. But they might have a burden, and they did, and they were led. No doubt there's nothing wrong with that. But they were called to a work. Every once in a while, I, I've t- you've heard me, heard me tell the story. When I first got to Bible college, my first year, I met a, a very aggravating young man. I may have been aggravating myself, but this man was particularly aggravating. And he said, came there with all the, he came with blueprints. Came to Bible college with a roll of blueprints under his arm. He knew that he was going to be a missionary in Ethiopia. He knew he was going to plant a church, have a children's home. And he had blue, man was 18 years old and he had blueprints. And I didn't know how to tie my shoes. I didn't know who Cain and Abel were. I didn't know, I didn't know the 12 disciples. I didn't know anything. And he knew blueprints and all. But you know, today he's still cutting grass in Tennessee. He knew where he was going. But see, these people, these men had no idea where they were going. They had no idea where they were going. They just knew that God had called them to a work. The Holy Ghost had called them. Look, don't you, you might be sitting there, I don't know, maybe I can go to Canada, maybe I'll go to Canada. Don't worry about the place, you just worry about the surrender. You worry about the call. And if the Holy Ghost has said, I want you for a specific work, then you just be willing to say, where he may lead me, I will go. For I have learned to trust him so. So the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had prayed and fasted and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now watch this. Who sent them away? Well, right there, the church at Antioch, right? First number four, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. It was the Holy Ghost that sent them. It was the local church that recognized it and said, we're with you. We're behind you. It was the Holy Spirit that said, I want you. I'm going to use you. And it was the church that said, far be it from us from getting in the way. We recognize it. You've been serving here. You've been preaching and teaching here. You're ready. Let's go. They laid hands on them, prayed for them, sent them away. 
And so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. They were called to preach, called to preach the gospel. And they went from place to place to place, doing what God had called them. We know the story. The Apostle Paul would be the one to, to really take that message and be the disciple, the apostle to the Gentiles. But do you know that we wouldn't have that if we didn't have that church at Antioch? If home base wasn't what it should be. This is home base. We got to be what we should be. We have to have that testimony. We have to have that willingness to be unorthodox in the eyes of the majority of the religious world as long as we're following Christ. We've got to be that way. We've got to have that, that word in our heart, purposing in our heart that we will cleave unto the Lord. The winds may blow, but we're going to hold on to Jesus. We're going to hold on to the Lord Jesus. And because of that, because they were laboring and ministering and working in that way, holding fast to Christ in the midst, born out of persecution, so they didn't mind any other persecution, then the Lord visited them called some men, and we have the pattern of what it looks like to send missionaries out. That's why you say, well, that was a little bit funny, you know, when those four men went to Ireland, you got them up on a platform, and then you had, the, you and the deacons, you know, you prayed. That was a little bit funny. That was a little bit weird. Well, it was just what they did in the Bible. You can call me weird if you want to, but that's what they did. And that's our pattern. That's the pattern. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I don't know what God has done in your heart over the last few days. I don't know what he is doing now, but I I do believe that uh, the Lord could use this church. I believe he wants to. I believe he is. He has. But I do believe the best is yet to come. And it's never been God's design for a church to grow big and big and big and big. But it's always been, look, let's do what we can so that we can start sending May the Lord do that here. Like Jerusalem sent Barnabas to that first little gathering in Antioch, and then Antioch then sent uh, Paul and Barnabas, and, and later more were sent. But if we're not what we should be here, we can't do that. And if you're not serving here first, then don't get the idea that you're going to be serving them somewhere else. I believe the Lord in these last days will do a greater work than he did in the previous days. I believe that's a biblical, a biblical truth. And uh, some people are really fatalistic and they say it's just going to go downhill, downhill, dark, dark, dark. But I do believe that before the Lord, it's in his nature to turn the tables on Satan and the rest of the world who think, who think that they're in control. It's just in the nature of God to, to let them go a little bit, to think that they've got everything sorted and Satan really, really thinks. And it's just in the nature of God to turn it all upside down. I believe that. I believe that. And I hope you do as well. But that means we've got to, in all the storm, keep our eyes on Christ, cleave to him, so that we can hear his voice plainly and clearly. So that we might know, as we heard about those men in Chronicles who knew the times, understood the times, and knew what, they ought, what Israel ought to do. Uh, some, sometimes when, in times like this, we give this, this, uh, 
this sort of uh, coping mechanism. Well, let's just huddle together and uh, just hang on tight till Jesus comes. No, no, no. Let's go, 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 advance, advance, advance until he comes or until we drop dead. Amen. You said, yeah, but well, if you keep talking like this, some people are going to leave and, and that's okay. We heard the other night, no man stood with the apostle Paul but Luke. No one stood with Jesus when he died. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, you know what? We don't need this tent anymore because everybody's forsaken us and fled. So we can start meeting in the shipping container. I hope you'd be willing. I hope you'd be willing for that. Numbers has never been the litmus test for spiritual success. Never. Likeness to Christ. That's the goal. They were called Christians first. Likeness to Christ is our goal. Let us be like you. Let's pray together. Father, we ask of thee to help us tonight, this body, to be like thy son. Help us, we pray. We confess that sometimes we're just not patient enough. Sometimes we're just not loving enough. Sometimes we compromise a little bit too much on truth instead of standing up for what is right. We pray, Lord, that we might be like thy son. That the testimony we would have would be that we are like Christ. We pray that as we seek to cling to thee, that thy spirit would call whom he would to sin forth. To proclaim thy word, this message, to fulfill the work that thou hast called them to do. Make hearts ready and make ears ready to hear, ready to receive the call and then ready, filled with faith, ready to go. Use this church for thy glory. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.